Well, amen, faith family. Can we just praise God for the worshiping song? Yes. Amen. We can also praise the Lord that after this service, we will celebrate 40 baptisms on the lawn. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, just got the final number texted to me, and so I'm grateful to God uh, for that and looking forward to it. And I won't preach too long because I know uh, we are prepping to go out there and enjoy some fellowship, and there's hot dogs and all kinds of other food, and, and then we're going to celebrate believers' baptism uh, together. But before we begin, I thought it would be right and appropriate and good for us just to celebrate a praise report together. Isn't that, isn't that a, a good way to start a service, man, just to say, hey, th- there's something we've been praying for, and we've seen God move deeply in this situation, and we just want to take a second and say, God, thank you. Um, so many of you know, we've been praying for James and Jonathan uh, Walker, Mitch and Catherine's, Mitch and Catherine Walker's uh, twin boys. And uh, they, were, they were born early and had lots of medical complications that they were contending with. Um, Jonathan was able to actually go home just a, a while back. And over the weekend, baby James, who had the most trying uh, medical difficulties surrounding him, um, he was able to go home after 262 days in the NICU. Here's a picture of them. Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome. So grateful for your prayers, and and this is not hyperbolic in the least. Uh, What baby James in particular went through, medically speaking, we have seen God do some tremendous miracles um, in his life, and just grateful to God uh, for that. I know Mitch and Catherine are watching online today um, at home, holding both of those baby boys, and uh, just thankful to God uh, for that, y'all. So let's start by uh, praying and just asking God uh, to continue to work in their lives, but also um, letting God know that we are so grateful for answered prayer. Uh, so if you'll bow with me in prayer as we begin today. Father, we do uh, thank you so much for answered prayer. <clears throat> God, I know oftentimes in life things do not go the way that uh, we, we would like them to go. God, even in those moments, we trust you. But God, we are just so grateful to you for the many blessings that we have seen along the way in the lives of Jonathan and James. And God, I pray for for Mitch and Catherine now as they continue to deal with uh, the many doctor's appointments that are sure to be ahead and all of the residual impact from being in the NICU for so, so many days. God, just give them wisdom, give them encouragement. God, be with them. Um, as they continue to walk through this process. But God, we want to be very, very careful uh, to come before you today and just say thank you. Thank you, God, for answered prayer and for the powerful work um, that you have accomplished in, in their lives. God, we rejoice deeply in, uh, in that. And so as we go about the message today, God, may we just always be reminded that you are an active God who is at work. Um, sometimes things go the way that we would hope, other times not, but... We, we know that we can trust you. And God, in that, um, I just rejoice greatly. We pray all of these things in the powerful and mighty name of King Jesus and all God's people said, amen and amen. Praise the Lord for that. Hey, grab your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six. As I said a few moments ago, today is baptism Sunday. And I was told that we're gonna like try to, you know, we collectively decided this. We're gonna try to edit uh, the service just to make sure that everybody can get out there on time. So we edited the music so that I could preach full length and some more. Come on, I'm just joking. So anyway, 
We, uh, we're going to go through this text together, verses 1 through 11, and, uh, and, and talk about believers' baptism. But as I think about baptism, I cannot help but think about uh, several things. You know, first of all, I think about my first baptism. Uh, the first baptism that I ever, I ever did was at my, uh, my first church. I was, I was serving as a youth pastor in uh, Daleville, Alabama, and there was a young man named Mark, who's about 16 years old, who gave his life to Jesus and had the privilege of leading him to Christ. And, and so I, I was asked to baptize him. Well, I was never instructed. Apparently, there's things you need to know about baptism. And I was never instructed on nece- how to necessarily do it. Well, in this church, it was a church that we wore like a suit and tie pretty much every Sunday. And a great church, but that was kind of the, the expectation. So I was wearing this nice, you know, suit and tie. and took the coat off, and we put waiters on to baptize well, whenever I went to baptize Mark, me not knowing that there's things that you need to know, um, I suddenly realized that there were some things that I didn't know because when he went back, he just went straight back with his legs locked and apparently you're supposed to like bend at your knees and I went straight back with him and I filled my waders up, y'all. It was awesome. And so I had to go home after that baptism, but it was really a special time. I'll also think about uh, I think about the, the many baptisms we did with kind of a troubled teen camp that we had. It was a court-appointed camp that we had um, uh, just opportunity to go and minister the gospel there. It would not be uncommon for us to baptize 60, 70, even 80 people at one time. And oftentimes I would do those baptisms by myself, just all of these people. And that's no glory to me at all. Please don't hear that wrong. I just think about that. And I think about those moments where we were able to you know, lead these, these students to Christ and just to see God do a tremendous work in them. Um, I also think about a lady named Paige. Paige was from China, and she moved to Florida, and she, she didn't know very much English, knew very little English, but we had a lady in our church that um, began to teach her English through the Bible. So she got the Bible out and was teaching her English through the Bible, and so Paige began to ask a lot of questions about the Lord, and she went to Okoe Outreach with us on a, on a mission trip, but it was, it was during that time that she uh, surrendered her life to Jesus, and I just will never forget baptizing Paige, how special that was, and the investment of that lady in our church that taught her English through the Bible. I also think about Josh and Chris and Tim, uh, three young men that I had the privilege of baptizing. Josh was a pastor's kid and came to faith in Christ. Tim and Chris were both correctional officers. They came to faith in Christ, and I baptized them around the same time frame, and all three of those young men today are are full-time pastors, two in the state of Florida, one in Kentucky. I think about them. I also think about probably one of the most special to me baptisms. I think about my son, who right before we moved here to Apex, we had a guest speaker, and he responded to faith uh, in Christ after that message. It took a guest speaker for him to respond to faith in Christ. However... (laughs) Nonetheless, I'm grateful, and I remember baptizing him and saying, I baptize you, my brother in Christ, but also my son. Special. Uh, I think about my two girls who I haven't baptized yet, and they're sure to be incredibly special baptisms. But as you think about baptism, you think about the importance of baptism, and we are Baptists. We believe in baptism and the importance of baptism, and as God would have it in his providential will, we are in a text today that talks about being buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in the newness of life. Some of these shirts that you see our staff wearing says raised to life. This is exactly where this text comes from and God lined it up so perfectly that we would be here 
in Romans on baptism on the lawn Sunday. Now, Paul is speaking uh, directly towards immediate immersion into Christ, not necessarily water baptism, but we see the importance pictured here. The moment we call on the name of the Lord Jesus, we are immersed in Christ, buried with Christ in his death, but also raised to walk in the newness of life as Christ has risen. We too, one day, shall rise. We'll talk more about Paul's meaning as we unpack Romans 6 verses 1 through 11. But let's start out with a catechism to just align our hearts and our minds on what baptism is. So on the screen, you'll see a question, what is baptism? And then you'll see uh, the answer. And during the answer, I want us all to collectively say that together. So you ready? Cool. For all three of you, let's say it loud. All right, for the rest of us. But no, we'll all we'll be on the screen. We'll say this together. Here's the question. What is baptism? Answer, all of us together. Baptism is the washing with water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It signifies our adoption into Christ, our cleansing from sin, and our commitment to belong to the Lord and to his church. Now, we don't believe in baptismal regeneration as Baptists, We don't believe that you're not truly saved until you get into the water. Uh, that's what baptismal regeneration means. However, we do know the scriptural importance of baptism because it is a communicative act for the disciple of Jesus who has placed their faith in him that shows I have new life in Jesus and it is your public testimony. I said in the early service, it is the wedding band of of, of baptism, right? So as we think about the wedding band of Christianity, it's baptism. And, and uh, you know, this wedding band signifies that I'm married to a really beautiful woman. I've been married to her um, this past January. It was 18 years, and she's incredible. I'm grateful to God for her. She's a godly woman. She cares for me. All the things. This shows that, man, I'm taken. And further, she, like more important, she needs to wear hers. She's taken. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, this is what's going on here. And when we are baptized, it is the wedding band of Christianity showing that, hey, this is, a, this is a, a notary seal, if you will. Like, this is something that is showing everyone what's already happened on the inside. I was saved at the moment that I called on the name of the Lord Jesus. But um, this baptism is my public testimony, my public profession of faith, that this is what God has done in me. And I want the world to know. And this is exactly what Paul is speaking towards. So if you're willing and able, uh, let's stand in honor of reading the word of God. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. If you're there, we say amen. amen. It says this, what shall we say then? And this is referring to chapter 5, whenever Paul is talking about, if you remember a couple of sermons back uh, before Mother's Day, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And uh, even though sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Paul has been heavy up to this point on justification uh, by faith. So by grace through faith in Christ alone, he's been heavy, heavy, heavy here. And he now anticipates kind of a negative response from religious, the, the religious uh, elites because this is who Paul used to be when Paul was Saul. And he masterfully 
um, walks through this. You know, it, it has been noted, well documented, that Harvard used to have their law students walk through the book of Romans and put it to memory uh, because of how methodical uh, Paul's arguments were. Just incredible, incredible resource here. So he's anticipating some questions and then he answers those questions with a few rhetorical um, questions. So here's what happens. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may about <clears throat> by no means how can we who died to sin that's going to be a key phrase today still live in it do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus we were baptized into his death we were buried therefore uh, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in newness of life Verse 5, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Verse 9, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. Hebrews says the same thing, that this is not a sacrifice that happens again and again and again. Um, Jesus died once and for all. This was for the penalty of our sin, the wrath of God. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, final verse. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. May God bless both the reading and proclamation of his word today. You may be seated. So again, Paul has been preaching a lot on justification by faith in Christ alone. And all of this preaching, no doubt, was grace heavy and it caused many religious elite to say wait a minute if you're preaching that it's all by grace and that grace abounds more than sin then isn't it methodical and rational to think that if sin the, if the law reveals our sin yet grace this is verse 20 of chapter 5 abounds more than sin abounds and God gets glory in that then isn't it logical to think that we should sin more so that we could get more grace so that God could be glorified more, and Paul is saying, by no means. And then he lays out a few rhetorical questions with expert skill to show them that, hey, no, this is not the proper way to think. So he gives them this query without expecting any type of answer, and he does this once again with, with expert tact. And he makes it clear once again that we do not practice antinomianism, which is uh, this this lack of adherence to any moral law. For us as followers of Christ, what you need to know is the reason why we are not uh, walking in this antinomianism is because we have died to sin, right? So, so in Christ, we've been buried with Christ in his baptism and his death. We, we, have, we have died to sin. We can't simultaneously live in sin if we have died to sin sin and he wants to make this really really clear so we see a transition take place here in chapter six this juncture is quite important because up to this point 
He has been heavy on justification, justification, which is our position before God. Whenever we call on the name of the Lord, our justification is just as if we have never sinned. We are positionally right before God. When God sees us, he sees us hidden with the precious blood of Jesus. We are declared, hear me, not guilty, and the penalty of sin has been squared away. This is our position, and this is justification. But now we see a transition, and in chapter 6 through 8, you're going to see a lot on sanctification. To be sanctified means we are now practically living out the position that we already attained. So now that I have been justified and I'm no longer guilty, the penalty of sin has been squared away, I want to live that out practically in my life. We should be growing day by day by day. And this is a lifelong process. It's a lifelong process of growth. We are to become more and more like Jesus every single day. This is the process of sanctification. Yes, there will be days where we experience some regress and there are days that we struggle more than others. But now that we are justified and we are positionally secure in Christ, we need to live out that position by growing in him, which is sanctification. This is exactly what Paul is painting here in this picture. He is saying, by no means are we to sin more so that more grace will come, so that God will be glorified more. By no means. No, we have died to sin. This is not who we are anymore, and we are now walking in a newness of life. But let's talk about what it means to die to sin. What exactly is Paul saying when he says we have died to sin? We know that sin could never be a path that we intentionally choose to try to please God. Uh, that's why Paul is saying, you know, asking these rhetorical questions, He's, which go really well in debate, by the way, because it backs you in a corner and it helps you to see that, oh, yeah, maybe that was a silly assumption. And he is showing them that, hey, it's crazy to think that we would choose a path of sin to somehow please God. This is abhorrent. This makes no, no sense because we have died to sin. Uh, and again, if you have died to something, you can't simultaneously live in it. But let me illuminate what he means here just a little bit when he's talking about dying to sin. We are not dead to sin in terms of being immune to sin. Uh, some people mistakenly believe this. They believe that now that I am a Christian, I am immune to sin. Somehow my senses, my fleshly desires, my propensity to choose wrong no longer exists. But I think we are disillusioned if we believe that, and we don't have to look very far beyond our own soul to know that sin can still be a struggle, and the snares of the enemy are still before us, even as a follower of Christ. Further, we see in the Word, the Word of God is imploring us, constantly calling us up to put aside the deeds of darkness that we are so prone to run towards. Our fallen nature is alive, and we are urged not to obey that fallen nature. We are, we are further uh, shown that now that you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you to help you to subdue and to control those sinful desires as they flare up. So yes, in your strength, you can't do anything about it, but in the power and in the strength and in the might of God, you can overcome sin. Death to sin is not... I'm no longer struggling with it. It no longer affects me. It no longer has impact towards me. That is uh, the wrong way to think. And so take a deep breath. You're not alone in your fight and your contention against sin. The question becomes, what does Paul mean? 
when he says, by no means are we saying sin more so that grace can abound more. Uh, we, have, we have died. He says this very clearly. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, we are baptized into his death. And so we are buried with him in baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead in glory, we too may walk in the newness of life. What does he mean when he's talking about this death uh, to sin that we have that, that we find in Christ? Here's what he means. It means that we are united to Christ and somehow, some way, his death becomes our death. Now, this does not mean that we are paying for the penalty of our sin because we can't, only Christ can. And the text says he's done this once and for all. But all who place their faith in him, you now experience that death of guilt. So Jesus absorbed the wrath of God. He became the propitiation of our sin. He bore the sin debt that we deserved. He satisfied God's wrath on the cross for us. So when we trust in him, our sin guilt has been taken care of. We have died to that, and we have been imputed the righteousness of Christ. So this is good news. This is gospel news. This is what Paul means. He means in Christ, we died to the penalty of sin because Jesus died for the penalty of sin. And we are justified because of this. So this is the meaning of death. It means that penalty of sin is no more. That happens once and for all. It doesn't need to happen again and again. When the enemy tries to whisper to you about your past sins, you need to declare to him that you are not guilty because of Christ's finished work in your life. The penalty of sin has been taken care of. Now, as we continue on, verses 4 and 5 talks about not only the death but the newness of life. We are raised to walk in the newness of life. That means we desire a new path. We have a new way of living. We are grateful for God's work in our life, and that work has spurred us towards living a holy life. This newness of life is now a desire for holiness. Is your life a life that desires holiness? Is the Lord Lord of your life? You know, it's not that the Christian is going to be sinless, but Cole, my intern for the summer, he reminded me, it's that as Christians, we are desiring to sin less. Like our lives should look like that. Why? Because we want holiness. We want the Lord to be the Lord of our life. A, a professed believer who disregards the lordship of Christ in their life, biblically speaking, is one that has no claim, no biblical claim for salvation. Why? Because Jesus, all that we see in the Word of God, I'm preaching you the Word. When Jesus changes your life and you are saved, he changes your want-tos. There is not a single person in the Word of God who met Jesus and was changed by Jesus who went away the same. Yes, there are people who have made mistakes, people who have sinned, people who have struggled, but they all have had a desire to honor him. Why? Because those who have been saved, they experience Jesus changing their want-tos. So is he Lord of your life? Have you surrendered to him? Have you surrendered every room of your house to him? Here's a good way to think about it. Is he Lord of your marriage? When you think about your marriage right now, is he Lord of your marriage? Is he Lord of what you watch on television? Is he Lord of how you speak, your language, your gossip, is he Lord of the things that you listen to? Is he Lord of the websites that you visit? Is he Lord of how you parent 
Is he Lord of how you spend money? Is he Lord of how you treat people? Is Jesus Lord of your life or is he just a nice accessory? You see, the idea that a Christian can live in perpetual habitual sin is both irrational and unbiblical. We cannot live in a place where we call sin normative, acceptable, and okay. Now, we have all found that as Christians, we are able to commit many sins. But in Christ, we can't stay there because of conviction. That sin will feel atypical. That sin will feel unusual. That sin will feel uncommon. Why? Because you've been raised to walk in the newness of life. So now that I'm a new creation in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come, that sin does not feel the same as it used to. Yeah, in the moment I may have been tempted and I may have ran towards it, but I'm tore up, man. I'm tore up whenever I go to it. Why? Because I've grieved the heart of God. It's not being tore up because I got caught. It's being tore up because, man, I've grieved the heart of God and I want to please him and I want to honor him and I want to put off the old and I want to walk in the new nature that God has given me. Hey, grab your Bibles, turn over to Colossians just quickly, quickly. We're not going to look at the whole passage, just a couple of key things. Colossians chapter 3, just turn to the right uh, a few pages there. Colossians chapter 3. If you're there, we say amen. Cool, lots of you, all right? So this entire text talks about putting on the new self and putting off who you used to be. It starts out, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Number two, set your minds, verse two, on the things that are above, not on the things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. That's our justification. We've died to that life. We're now hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you'll appear with him in glory. Romans also talks about this, the resurrection glory. Now, verse five, it says to put to death all those things that are earthly in you. It lists out several things here. It's not an exhaustive list. But there's certainly things there that could describe who we used to be because we used to walk in those ways, verse 7 says. Verse 8, but now you must put them all away, and it lists several other things. So put off, verse 9, the latter part, 9b, says put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. Hear this, after the image of its creator. This is a day-by-day renewal, opportunity to grow in him as we put on uh, Christ every day and die to self. Verse 12, uh, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If you have a complaint, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And above all these, we talked about this on Mother's Day last week, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So in Colossians here, we see this idea of putting off the old and putting on the new. Here's why this is important. If you look at verses 6 and 7, flip back to Colossians, I mean, excuse me, to Romans chapter 6. If you look at verses 6 and 7, you see this word crucified. Verse 6, we know that our old self was, say it out loud, crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we are no longer enslaved to sin. So we, we know, verse 7, one who has died has been set free from sin. So we experience this crucifixion, and there's two ways that we experience this. First of all, identification with Christ. Through identification, we are saying we experience Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. If we place our trust in him, we have identified with his death, burial, and resurrection, and sin's penalty has been atoned for. We identify with Christ. This has happened once and for all, as the following verses state. 
The second way the Bible speaks of crucifixion is imitation. We just read some of this in Colossians. Imitation. This is our death to self so that we are more like Christ every day. And the power of the Holy Spirit of God in us, we are dying to ourselves. So identification is dying to the penalty of sin, death to that. Imitation is death to the power of sin. So every day I'm waking up and I'm looking in the mirror and I'm saying, Zeb, today you die to yourself so that the power of sin may not reign in your life. Now, Romans 6 is speaking of identification, dying to the guilt of sin, the penalty of sin, but it has imitation in view. Meaning that when you put on the new self, you've, you've died the death of Christ, you've been buried in that, but you're raised to walk in the newness of life. When you put on that new self, this imitation is in view, as we read in Colossians. You're putting off the old, putting on the new. Anyone who has died in, in Christ has been freed from sin's penalty. If you've experienced that death, burial, and resurrection in your own life, which is pictured in baptism, when you've experienced that immersion on the inside of your soul, you have been freed and justified from sin's penalty. You are free, you're no longer enslaved, and you should walk in that, pragmatically speaking. I love uh, to think about this, and I shouldn't tell this story because so many uh, administrators and teachers that are, like the school that our kids go to, they attend our church. But we got a call from the dean from um, their, their, our kids' school this past week, and the call came for my little kindergartner, uh, Riverjoy, who's six. She's also really good birth control. So anyway, um, Riverjoy, we get this call, and uh, the dean says, hey, there was a group of older boys that took a Sharpie and they're writing on some wood at the school and it won't come off. And Riverjoy was seen to be a part of that. So I asked her, were you a part of this? She said, well, I told the boys, no, 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 because they were, they were wrong. And so the teacher said, oh, so you didn't have any part of it. And she said, well, no, the boys wrote on the wood. They dropped the Sharpie and they ran off. And so I took the Sharpie and I wrote on the wood, no, 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 no. Isn't that awesome? Well, she got in a little bit of trouble. I don't even think she realized she got in trouble um, at school. But when she was free, she's free indeed. No longer a slave to sin, right? But in our own life, we know when we trust in him and we identify with him, we are free. Now we imitate him so that the power of sin may be broken in our life. And every day in order to do that, the crucifixion looks like crucifying selves, dying to self. Die to yourself every day so that Christ can be seen in your life. And in the last couple of verses, we talk about the resurrection of Jesus in verses 8 through 11. We live with Christ. This is our ongoing nature. The very moment that we call in the name of the Lord to be saved, we have been identified with Christ. And hear this, it lasts for all of eternity. Isn't that good? Because Christ has risen, we too shall rise. All of this is found in the resurrection of Christ, Revelation 118, the Lord himself declares, I'm the living one. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forever and ever. So if we are a believer today, we have died the, 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 the death of Christ and raised to walk in the newness of him. Uh, man, we are raised in resurrection power. So we have died to the penalty of sin because that's what Jesus did for us. As he rose again, we are raised to walk in resurrection power. And this is the picture that is seen in believer's baptism. And that is why, brother and sister, we do not take baptism lightly. Yes, I'll reiterate once again, we do not believe in baptismal regeneration. We don't think the water saves. That would be a work. But we do believe 
that it is critically important for the believer to show publicly that, man, God has done this in me. And I want, I want the world to see my testimony of how God has changed me. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus demonstrates what he's done in my life. I've died to sin. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And I'm raised to walk in the newness of life. Let me tell you a cool story about a lady named Miss Betty. I met Miss Betty when she was 94 years old. She started attending my previous church, and she came with her daughter, who was, who was a member there. And um, she had gotten, you know, to where she needed to spend more time with her family just to help get around and things of the sort. And so she started coming to church with her daughter. And through Sunday school and through preaching, she heard a lot on believers' baptism. And she talked with me about that and she said pastor zeb i was saved when i was a young girl at a revival and i know that i'm saved and i've i've lived my life in the wake of 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 that salvation she said but now that i'm hearing about baptism um you know being something that follows our faith in jesus she said i realize i've never done that and so now here she sits at 94 years old and she's starting to process this well, I moved away just a couple of years later. I'd already been in that church for a little while, and then I moved away to come here to Apex. And it wasn't long after I'd gotten here that I got a call from Miss Betty, and, and she told me that she made the decision to follow through in believers' baptism. It took me leaving, which is cool, yeah. Um, but she, she, she said, Pastor, I just want you to know, like I'm, I'm excited to do this. Well, the Florida Baptist Witness, which is like a newspaper for Florida, uh, Baptist, they picked up this story and uh, they, they recorded Miss Betty, that's my senior adult, former senior adult pastor, Pastor Mark uh, they recorded her being baptized and this is some things that she said she said, I could not wait to get in the water this is in the article, she said, I was so excited and at peace to know that I'd finally taken care of this very important act of obedience it made my heart so full of joy that I could hear his voice saying well done, well done my good and faithful servant, it filled me with his indescribable peace. I love this part. She said, I knew there was something I still had to do. And she said this of her baptism, I now am, am wondering what else he has for me to do. And I love this last line. She says, when you're 96, which she was at this time, and you've got something that isn't done yet, you better hurry up because you never know. <laughs> so good. Man, I think about Miss Betty and I think about this story and I can't help but think of the many who potentially are in this room who you're a believer in Christ, but you've never followed through with this public profession for many reasons. There's a myriad of reasons as to why. I know some people get nervous about it. Some people are afraid of water. Some people uh, feel like it's not necessary. I mean, there's all kinds of legitimate reasons that we kind of talk ourselves out of, but maybe there's some that are here today that you just never followed through with this wedding band of Christianity, this baptism, and you're seeing the story of Miss Betty, and you're like, man, I, I need that. Like, I need to do this. We don't believe in spontaneous baptisms, meaning we're not just going to line you up and free-for-all, just jump in. Like, we don't do that. But it's not too late even today. We do have some pastors that would love to talk with you. If you have some, some questions here and you want to talk about, hey, grab one of us. We would love to talk with you about this and counsel with you. We even have clothes available if it's something that we feel good about and you feel good about uh, to where you can get in line and you can be number 41, all right? Um, I'm not pressing on that. I do not believe in manipulation when it comes to this kind of thing. It's your decision to make, but it's an important one. 
Perhaps you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus. And today you need, to, you need to be immersed in Christ. Like you need to experience that salvation in your life right now today. If that's you, I would, I would encourage you to call in the name of the Lord to be saved. I'd love to talk to you about that. And maybe today, the day that you give your life to Jesus and are saved could be the same day that you experience water baptism as well. It'd be awesome. We'd be happy to do it. Um, but you have a decision to make. And not to be overly... Um, scary here but Miss Betty made mention that when you're 96 and you have something left to do and you haven't done it yet you better hurry the reality is none of us know how much time we have and if you're here never giving your heart and life to Jesus I don't say that to manipulate or scare you or anything I'm just saying welcome to humanity we live in a messy broken world man and God has you here on purpose and for a reason and if he's stirring in your heart don't delay. Don't delay. Respond to him. And I say this with as much love as I possibly can because I mean it that way. I don't mean this in a, in a poor way at all. My prayer for you is that you just won't rest well until you deal with it. Like that, man, God is dealing with you and you just, man, there's something that's not satisfying me. There's something that's not, that, that's just not right. And someone once said many, many years ago that it's like we have a God-shaped hole in our heart that only he can fill, and we try to fill it with a lot of other things, and until you surrender to him, you won't experience that contentment and satisfaction and peace. You know, there are many people that have nothing, comparatively speaking, in this world, but they have Christ, and they go to bed at full peace every night <laughs> because they have all that they need. You may be searching and searching and searching, and I want you to know that the penalty of sin can be squared away if you'll call in the name of the Lord. And the power of sin can be broken in your life because you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you the moment you call on the name of the Lord. And you can die to yourself every day so that he is Lord of your life. And he can make you a new woman. He can make you a new man. Hey, if I had more hands than two, I'd raise him. He's done it for me. And you're looking at a man that is imperfect, that still struggles like crazy in so many ways. I don't have the same struggles I used to have, but I have other ones. And I'm trying to put those to death so that Christ can be seen as glorious in my life. But I can say wholeheartedly, with as much gusto as I possibly can muster, listen to me, God has changed my life. And I know if we polled this room, there's so many of you that would say yes and amen. I'm one of them. God has changed my life, man. And I'm confident beyond a shadow of a doubt He can change your life too if you'd only trust in him. So I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna sing this last song together, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. And I can't think of a better picture of what God has done in us. My chains are gone, man. I've been set free. May we sing this so declaratively this morning because he's worth it. He's worth it. Let me pray for us. God, thank you. Thank you for what you have done in this service. God, thank you for your power. God, thank you for the opportunity we have to pray um, even now and to say, uh, God, we are grateful for salvation that you have granted. This song that pictures um, our, our chains being broken in our life, uh, no longer being enslaved to sin. God, I pray we sing it with so much joy. And for those in the room that have not trusted in you yet, I pray today is that day that they surrender all 
to you. We pray this in the powerful and mighty name of King Jesus and all God's people said, amen and amen.